Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker. I am an author, a speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And in reality, I just love having geeky conversations with people about new things. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. This week, we get to listen back on a conversation between Dr. Gruber and Rabbi Dr. Bejarano Gutierrez. They had a conversation that is titled Complex Jewish and Christian Identities, and they talk about the formation of Jewish identity and how huge events like the loss of the Northern Kingdom of Israel or destruction of the First Temple or the return of Jews to reestablish Jerusalem all contributed to changes in Jewish identity. But Rabbi Bejarano Gutierrez does not think only of the ancient past. His family history has led him to think through what forms Jewish identity now. We are always talking about how context matters for biblical interpretation. And this is a great example of how modern context shapes us as thinkers of biblical concepts and contributes to identity. I wonder how much of this history is something you're familiar with. Take a listen. So my family comes from a Sephardic background, uh, but my parents are the descendants, they're, they're Bananusim. They're the descendants of uh, conversos or uh, Sephardic Jews that were forced to convert to Christianity. And they retained an identity that they transmitted to us, you know, their, their children. And so that was part of my uh, experience growing up. As I grew older, I began to pursue, um, I guess you could say more of an academic approach as well as a religious approach to living that out. When I was young, my father had actually bought uh, Hebrew books for us to study. There was an element of Jewish identity that was already there in play, but it began to be formalized much more as, as I grew up. And so coming from a crypto-Jewish background, the, there's an inevitability excuse me, about uh, Christianity being part of the equation. There's an exposure there. There's an interaction. There's a history there. Uh, sometimes that history is obviously very uh, emotional because uh, our ancestors are, were struggling to maintain their Jewish identity. And so in many ways, it's, it's odd for people to understand why I'm so interested in Jewish-Christian dialogue at the same time as I write about the crypto-Jewish experience and Sephardic history and persecution and so forth. Um, and I think in many ways, as I, as I began to study these different topics, I realized that uh, Anusim, Bede Anusim, Conversos, they were sort of the bridge between two different communities. And as I studied more, I realized that in many ways they were the, the bridge between uh, uh, to modernity. Um, and so they interacted with, with Jews, their, you know, their families, they interacted with uh, Christians they were technically part of now. And then they, they sort of fused those two identities together and they helped create the world that we live in today. And so I was, I think, blessed to study with uh, many rabbis and professors who already had a history of, of Jewish and Christian uh, interfaith dialogue. And so instead of taking a very, um, I guess you could say sort of an anti-Christian approach, they sort of helped me forge these two different 
identities and histories and understand something positive that could come out of that. And so uh, wherever I studied, uh, whether at Siegel or at Spurtis or at, at Yeshiva, um, I always ran into people that had that kind of pers perspective. Have you heard of crypto-Judaism? It refers to those who hold a secret adherence to Judaism while publicly professing a different faith. And it is very commonly used to speak of the Spanish Jews during the Spanish Inquisition. But let's listen to how the lives of these Jewish families were transformed, and yet how they held onto aspects of their Jewish identity. The largest Jewish community uh, uh, in Europe during the medieval period was, of course, in the Iberian Peninsula, in the kingdoms of Castile and Aragon, and also in Navarra and so forth, in Portugal. And at the end of the 14th century, there were large-scale riots that resulted in potentially a, a third of the Jewish community uh, converting out of duress, uh, out of force to survive, or out of uh, economic deprivation, various issues in play uh, to survive. And so they created a new class of individuals within uh, Spanish society, and these individuals were called conversos, or new Christians. The Hebrew term is anusim, and then the forced ones, and then their descendants were bene anusim, the, the children of the, those who were forced. And for about 100 years in the Spanish uh, uh, peninsula, or the Iberian Peninsula, they constituted almost a separate entity. There were Jews, there were conversos, and of course there were Christians and, and Muslims. Um, and in many ways, the the anti-Semitism that had been present for quite some time began to be directed against conversos over a period of time. And they began to ascend to many of the positions that many Jews had had in previous uh, years and generations. The problem was that many of them, of course, continued to have family ties with practicing Jews. They still lived in the same neighborhoods. They uh, often intermarried within each other, you know, other families that were from similar backgrounds. And surprisingly, that identity continued uh, for a very long period of time. That's what the purpose of the uh, Spanish and later the Portuguese Inquisitions was uh, intended to confront, the, the continuing Jewish identity of these conversos who were now legally Christian, but were continuing to circumcise their children, they were eating certain foods or abstaining from certain foods, they were practicing certain rituals and so forth. And so for several hundred years, that identity continued to um, exist, but also to evolve. And I think that when you look at the, the history of these individuals, what you realize is that there was a fusion between uh, Christian identity and the remnants of Jewish identity that they were able to maintain. And so it's surprising to pe for people to realize that, you know, into the 1700s, 1800s, into the 1900s, there were still families, and there are still families, that continue many of the traditions that their ancestors uh, observed, but they may not necessarily realize the reason for that. Some of them may actually realize the, the basis for that. And so in, in my particular case, I was given a very uh, strong identity in the sense that you, you are a, a Jew, and this is, you know, this is what we're transmitting to you. Now, the, the way to live that out was not so concretely established. You know, we had elements of Hebrew. I learned the Shema when I was very young. But, you know, obviously there were gaps and it makes sense because we don't have the we didn't have the the context to be able to support a, a fully uh, Jewish existence. And as I began to meet other individuals that were from similar backgrounds, it was almost like I was putting together pieces of the puzzle. You know, one family may have observed one uh, mitzvah as they understood it and another family observed this particular practice. 
And it's almost as if you see these families, if you put them all together in one room, it's like all between them, they, they would constitute a, a somewhat recognizable uh, Jewish identity. And so what we have today is, is we have, I think in part because of the availability of information and the internet and uh, just the availability of resources, we have people who begin to study their background, maybe they do DNA testing or something like that, and they begin to consider if they have you know, certain backgrounds or traditions that maybe are actually part of another a culture or religious tradition than their own. That was a basic introduction, and it may lead you to wonder how Rabbi Bejrano Gutierrez thinks through Jewish-Christians' relations. I mean, problematic, right? When that kind of persecution is present in your background, it is bound to influence your perspective. And next week, we will hear more about that. Even with this quick overview of crypto-Judaism, doesn't it just beg the question, well, how did that happen? What was causing the fierce conflict that started the Spanish Inquisition? And then later, what happened in the Catholic society that saw a lot of Jewish conversion? Were they happy? Did they end up suspicious about the way in which those conversions happened? Basically, what established identity? It's tricky. So, as I mentioned, in the medieval period, the, the largest Jewish community in, in Europe was found in the Iberian Peninsula. Um, and it's hard to gauge exact numbers because uh, the numbers are often de- derived from tax records and so forth. And there, there's a lot of speculation about how many families or, or how many people live in one family and so forth. But I think it's safe to say that there were several hundred thousand Jews uh, between the, the kingdoms of Castile and, and Aragon. And they had uh, existed at least for a thousand years. I mean, we have archaeological evidence from, you know, the, 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 I think the third and fourth centuries, we actually have tombstones that verify that, that Jews lived there. And it's likely that they lived there even before, you know, in the earlier Roman, Roman period. But the phenomena of, of forced conversions had actually been common, uh, first under the Visigoths who had converted to uh, Christianity, and then under the uh, Almohades, the uh, Islamic conquerors uh, in, in Spain. And then it sort of reaches its, its fruition or its highest point under the, the, the Kingdom of Castile. There's an individual by the name of Ferran Martinez, very famous, who was an archdeacon. And for many years, I think it was something like 13 years, he preached anti-Jewish sermons. And he argued that many synagogues had been constructed illegally, that they should be demolished, uh, that Jews were a negative influence on Christians. And eventually, uh, through several events, this broke out into actual riots that affected uh, 80 or more Jewish communities throughout the peninsula. And as a consequence, uh, possibly up to a third of the Jewish community converted to Christianity. Uh, Some scholars argue that another third may have died as a direct consequence of the violence and the after effects, you know, the, uh, the, the poverty, the, the economic collapse, uh, starvation, things that happened as a consequence, and then only a third of the Jewish community continued to exist. And so the next, for the next 100 years, what we have is an actual crisis that in many ways um, was unexpected because the, the influx of these Jews into Christianity was first met as, as a miracle. For, you know, centuries, thousands of years, uh, or, you know, 1,300 years, Christians had wanted Jews to embrace uh, the, the fundamentals of Christian faith, but they had never counted on so many coming in out of uh, duress. 
And as a consequence, the individuals that converted out of duress were obviously not sincere. At least many of them were not sincere. And so they presented an issue for, for existing Christians, old Christians who didn't come from uh, a Jewish background, because as these individuals were now uh, legally Christian, many of the social, economic, and political restrictions that had prevented Jews from uh, partaking in certain aspects of society were, were theoretically mo- removed now. And so what, what I always like to point out is that people began to realize, you know, this individual that is now the alcalde, the, the mayor, you know, maybe just a little while before the people knew that he was Jewish. And then the problem was that since many of these individuals had not truly converted, you know, they hadn't done so for theological reasons, they still had the, the familial connections. They still ate the same food. They lived in the same neighborhoods. They married cousins or, or family members and so forth. And so the, the reinforcement of Jewish identity was, was still occurring. And it seems, at least from everything that I have learned, that the majority of the Jewish community wanted these individuals to maintain their connections uh, to Judaism. Uh, Sometimes those individuals would leave, you know, they would leave the peninsula, they would go to North Africa, they would go to other parts of the Mediterranean where they would return openly as Jews. But there's an extensive collection of rabbinic responsa, people writing to rabbis in other places and asking them, what do we do with this family who is trying to observe Passover? What do we do with this family who is, you know, uh, they, they're, they're, they're having a, a Jewish ceremony for marriage? You know, how do we interact with these individuals? And the very fact that we have those documents tells us that many people were truly trying their best to maintain this, this dual identity, you know, to satisfy mm-hmm. the requirements of Christian society, but also to ensure that that Jewish identity was still lived out in some form and that they were transmitting that to, to their children. And so for 100 years, this, this phenomenon continues. By the middle decades of the, of the 15th century, in the 14, uh, 1449-1450s, there begins to be a lot of resentment that is drummed up by old Christians who see these individuals rising in the ranks of, of uh, Christian society. And so we have the beginnings of what's called the limpieza de sangre uh, uh, statutes, the, the purity of blood laws. Because now there's a sense that even though these, these individuals are now Christian, they're still tainted by their Jewish ancestry. And so we have, in essence, the first identification of of, uh, Jewish identity uh, in purely ethnic terms or in in terms of of race, if you will. And eventually, by the time that we reach the the 1470s and the early 1480s, the idea that is presented to King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella is that the only way to deal with this this problem of of conversos continuing to identify as Jews, to to partake in circumcision, to give money to the synagogues, to observe Yom Kippur, is to strengthen uh, an institution which had existed previously, the the Inquisition, but to centralize it and to give it, if you will, state powers so that they can deal with what they consider to be a a cancer on, on Christian society. And so this inquisition is targeted specifically toward Christians that Judaize. Well, the only ones that are Judaizing are, are, are conversos. You know, they're individuals from Jewish backgrounds. And so the idea is to eliminate Judaizing as a threat to the church, because many of these individuals were even in the church in, in very uh, high place positions. That lasts about 10 years. And eventually King Ferdinand and Isabella say, you know, we want to continue the inquisition, but we, real, we realize that the only way to eliminate Judaizing forever is to eliminate the presence of of a continuing Jewish community. And if you read the edict of expulsion that is given in 1492, it specifically states the reason for the expulsion. 
And it's because from the perspective of King Ferdinand and Isabella, Jews have been uh, assisting conversos uh, in their instruction. You know, they've been providing books and, and instruction and, and many resources for these individuals to continue this, this dual identity, which is very troubling from a, uh, from a Christian standpoint. And so the idea is that if we eliminate the presence of Jews, that will eventually put an end to this heresy. And as a consequence, you know, from the perspective of Ferdinand and Isabella, they're also hoping that many Jews will convert. They'll, they'll choose to convert to Christianity instead of leave. And, and in fact, many do that. The problem is, is that, that you know, maybe 50,000 Jews that chose to stay are in effect reinforcing by default the Jewish identity of the conversos that had already existed for, for several decades. So it's, it's like you, have a, you add more fuel to the fire in some form. And yes, the Jews eventually leave. The, you know, they go to Portugal, they go to North Africa, uh, other parts of the Ottoman Empire. But the Jewish presence, if you will, in Spain and in Portugal continues to linger in some form or fashion. The knowledge base of those individuals declines over time, but it's still a serious enough threat where the, the church and the Inquisition still devote themselves to, to ferreting these individuals out. So I think from that perspective alone, it's, it's, it's a very fascinating story that they considered this issue to be so problematic to the, the unity of, uh, of, of Spain uh, and the emerging uh, 15th century, uh, 16th century. I am so glad you were here with us today. Next week's conversation is going to be absolutely fascinating. So be sure to like or subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you're listening to so that you don't miss out. If you want to join a whole online community that is taking a new look at the Bible, you are most welcome to join ours at israelbiblecenter.com. There you have access to roundtable talks like this one that is titled Complex Jewish and Christian Identities. But you also have access to a large collection of courses that you can combine together to earn a certificate in Jewish context and culture. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald from Mason Jar Music for doing an amazing job mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thank you for hanging out with me today and being curious about all things Bible-related. 